you, you are God alone in the good times and bad. Do you guys believe that? Yeah, you're going to need to believe it. <laughs> Our economy is definitely at a tipping point, it seems. I'm sure if some of you have been following the news lately, uh, you've seen uh, what's going on with our national debt and the stock market. In fact, the stock market in Israel opens on Sunday. They trade on Sunday. And they dropped so quickly that they had to suspend trading. So God only knows what Monday might look like for our stock market. But in spite of all that, in spite of a top possible double dip in recession, our God is good. Our God rules. He reigns. And ultimately, these are just continual reminders to me that I am not living for this world. I am living for the one to come. For the kingdom where I won't wake up and turn on the news and, and hear about 30 of our servicemen being killed in a, in a helicopter. Or I won't turn on the news and, and hear about what this kind of economy is doing to devastate one family after another. Where I won't hear about one reckless murder or rape ever again. That's the world I'm living for. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And so if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use one of our Blue Church Bibles. If you turn to page 846, that'll bring you to Mark chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 together this morning. Before we get into the text, let me just introduce a little bit of uh, where we're going. I've titled the text, You Must Be This Small to Ride. In fact, if I just remind you, on the inside of your bulletins on the left-hand side, there is an outline. You must be this small to ride. How many of you have attended Disneyland at least once in your life? Yeah. How many of you have taken your children now to Disneyland? And how many of you have taken your grandchildren to Disneyland? Was that awesome? I want to know because I haven't done it yet. And I am so looking forward to it. I remember even being a small child, one of the greatest places in the world to me was the kingdom that we call Disneyland. Right? It was. I absolutely loved that place. And, and we didn't go very often. But I cherished every time that we went. And then as we grew up and became adults, I got married. My wife and I both have a fondness for this place. And so we tried to take our kids as, as often as we could. And I am looking forward to that. I'm just going to ask you publicly right now that you would not take Judah without us being there, at least for the first time, Jordan, at least for the first time, so that I can see the expressions on that child's face as he sees Mickey and Goofy and, and all of those great things. Listen, one of the things I remember, though, at Disneyland is they had these, and they still do, they have these signs, right, for the rides. And it says, you must be basically this tall. You must be this tall to ride with a line. And I remember going there as a child, and, and you would look forward to growing, right? Because that allowed you access to things that 
were prevented. You were prevented from entering this amazing and incredible piece of joy before your very eyes simply because your head did not line up to that stupid line. In fact, I remember, I kid you not, now this is a while ago, and I'm not suggesting any of you do this, but we had two older children and then we had another one, and so the older ones were tall enough, and our younger one was not quite tall enough, so we bought her some shoes with platforms on them, and we put a hat on her and we mixed her hair into it, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. I know, I know, that's terrible. But she was so excited when they said, go on through. (laughs) Yeah. But what if all the signs said, you must be this small to ride? What if you you couldn't grow any taller? And once you grew that tall, you weren't allowed onto those rides anymore. That would be a very different type of amusement park. In fact, the children there, the small ones then would be the ones that were really proud about their smallness and would look to the tall ones and say, ha ha, you can't ride, you're just too big. You're just too big. Well, this morning, I hope to, I hope to make sense of that title. You must be this small to ride. Because I think that is exactly, in a sense, what Jesus is saying to us in this text. So let's read it together. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Let me see here. Oh, that is so funny, guys. I'm in Matthew, right? So I'm looking at the text here, and I'm going, are you kidding me? That is nothing. He's not even talking about that. Where are you? Wow. Okay, now here we are, Mark. The other gospel that starts with an M. Yes, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So during my study of this text, I have seen this particular section in Mark loosely interpreted and translated and or removed from its greater context and unfortunately made to emphasize something that I don't believe the writer, Mark, ever intended it to teach. For example, one pastor used this passage to talk about how important it is for Christians to support young people. Commenting on the verse, he said, and I'm quoting him, Now more than ever, it is imperative that we become advocates for our young people on their Christian journey in order that we may help them gain access to that which is needed for their success. He goes on to say that we need to stop hindering our young people and compares that to what Jesus' disciples did when they prevented the children from coming to Jesus, then goes on to say the people in Mark's narrative story were real advocates or supporters of young people because they took an interest in their lives and helped them to establish a relationship with Christ that would change their lives forever. 
And this is what you and I must be in the lives of our young people, he says. Real advocates helping them to succeed on their Christian journey. So what? While I agree that it is important, okay? It is important that we support our young people, that we are advocates for young people. That is not the point of the passage. And beloved, I only, I only bring this up right now to just demonstrate to you that we need to be diligent in discerning whether or not someone is actually drawing their truths from the passage or they're just using the passage to support something they want to tell you. There is a difference. So I want you to be cautious. Because this is just one of those passages that gets ripped out of its context on a regular basis and used for all sorts of things, but not necessarily what Mark intended it to communicate when he actually wrote it, or for that matter, what God intended it to communicate when He inspired the writer in writing it. Others, beloved, have focused on Jesus' apparent love towards children in this section and encourage Christians to model Jesus by asking them to help in the children's ministry of the church. Okay? Like VBS. That's a program that many churches put on. It's called Vacation Bible School, typically done during the summer, where kids can come and learn incredible things about God and the Word of God. Great program. But let me just give you again a quote from someone, that another pastor, Mark 10:16. He's in this section. He says here, Jesus loves children. Okay? He made them his top priority. This is what we need to do this week in VBS. We need to do what Jesus did. Take them into our arms and into our hearts, pray for them, and bless them with the best that we have to offer them. Well, I I think all of that is wonderful and that's what I would expect of people that are in children's ministry, but is that really the point of this text? Is that really the meaning? Is that what Jesus is getting at? Is that His point in all this? He just wants to make sure that we support kids and love kids and hug kids and give kids kisses and all that stuff. I think there's something more significant going on, beloved. Children are highlighted. They are highlighted, but the question is why? And that's the question I hope I can answer this morning before I'm done. Let's consider something else though, that stands out in the text. Okay? How about the words, Kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is mentioned twice. It is mentioned 14 times in Mark. That phrase, specifically. It's alluded to in other places, but the phrase, Kingdom of God, is used 14 times in seven different chapters of the 16 chapters that make up the Gospel or book of Mark. The very first words that are quoted as Jesus was saying, in other words, Mark quotes, this is what Jesus said, the very first thing that Jesus begins to talk about we find in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, just by way of reminder. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Right out of the gate, Jesus is proclaiming something. He is proclaiming the Kingdom of God. The text right before this text that some people think is about children, Mark 9.47, I'm just going to read you a passage. It's just right before this text. And we talked about this passage several weeks ago. 
There it says, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So this is the text right before this text. The text following this text also has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Mark 10:23. just follow along as I read. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So again, we have this kingdom of God and this idea of entering into this kingdom. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we'll talk about that passage, by the way, next week. So don't spend a lot of time thinking about that and trying to figure out exactly what, that, what Jesus is referring to. I'm only pointing it out to you right now to show that the context, even around the passage we're in, and the greater context of the Gospel, the whole entire book of Mark, is centered around or focuses on the Kingdom of God. So now, knowing that, or at least being familiar with that, let me read the passage to you again, the main section of it in Mark 10, 14-15. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. The focus is not here so much on Jesus welcoming children, or being their advocate, or blessing them. But it is more about a certain relationship that children have with the kingdom of God. Jesus' reference to the children in this situation illustrates another truth about the kingdom of God that his disciples needed to fully embrace. That's what the passage is about. So, this morning we are going to examine two truths just two, about the kingdom of God that you and I must adopt so that we are not kept from entering that great kingdom. That's that's where we're going and that's what we're going to be looking at. So the first point is simply this. Citizens of the kingdom of God have childlike dependence. Citizens of the kingdom of God have childlike dependence. Look back at the text with me. Mark 10, beginning in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So, okay, what's the story? What's the scene? What's going on? It's rather simple. There are unidentified people, in verse 13, they, okay, Mark doesn't tell us who exactly, just says they were bringing children to Jesus, and they were bringing children to Jesus, could have been the parents, could have been sisters, brothers, fathers, mothers, we don't know. They were bringing the children to Jesus that he might touch them. That is, that they were asking Jesus to pray and ask God to bless them. How do we know that? Well, in Matthew 19... Verse 13, 
where this is a parallel account of the same story in another gospel. There we read, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Which is exactly what Jesus did in our text we see in Mark 10. Just look back at Mark 10, verse 16. At the end of this story, He took them in His arms and blessed them, laying His hands on them. In other words, He prayed over them. It was customary for the people to ask a rabbi or a holy man, in a sense, a a teacher of God's Word, to call upon God to bless their family. That's all that's going on here. There's nothing supernatural. This is not a healing like we've seen in other situations where people were coming because they were diseased or sick or were demon-possessed. They're simply bringing their children to Jesus, as was appropriate, as was common in that custom or that culture, to have Jesus pray to God that they might receive a blessing. Okay? Pretty simple. But for reasons Mark does not disclose, he doesn't tell us why, Jesus' disciples attempt to stop the children from getting to Jesus. Now, I've heard a lot of speculation on this, but it's all just speculation. We don't know why. We don't know why or what was in their head that made them decide that they were going to keep the kids from Jesus. It could have been that maybe they thought he he shouldn't have been bothered. I don't know. What is clear from the text not from what I think, but from the text, is that Jesus was not okay with what they were doing. He was clearly not okay with it. In fact, the text says he became indignant. Indignant, meaning he was moved to anger over his strong disapproval of what his men were doing. Moved to anger over the strong disapproval of what his men were doing. In fact, he responds to the situation now by telling them to basically, hey guys, knock it off. But here's how he says it. Let them come to me and stop getting in their way, in other words. Let them come to me and stop getting in their way. But why did Jesus become angry with his disciples and issue this command? Well, he answers that. Look back at the text, Mark 10, 14. He says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. When you see the word for, it can usually be substituted by the word because. Because here's the explanation, here's the reason why I'm telling you to stop hindering the children to allow them to proceed and come to me. Here's why, because to them belongs the kingdom of God. Do you see that word such? To such belongs? Such means of this sort. Of this sort. It refers to the qualities or characteristics of what is being referred to. In this case, the children. Alright, so let me see if I can help you a little bit. Here's another translation in a different Bible. It's in the New American Standard Bible and the New International Version, the NIV. They translate it this way. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. To such as these. Here's one more translation, which I think is even a little more clear. It's the New International Reader's Version. And it goes like this. God's kingdom belongs to people like them. People like who? The children. People like the children. In other words, Jesus is not saying the kingdom belongs to children specifically. Okay, because that would be weird. Because then he's just saying, hey, if you're a child, 
and whatever that means, because these are, we don't even know how old these children were that could have varied in age. We know that many of them were small enough that for Jesus to pick them up in his arms, because the text tells us he was doing that. So it could have been like a 17-year-old. That would look strange. Right? So they were probably small children. Luke adds that there were even infants coming, and that would make sense, holding an infant. But it could include any age of, of child, up to 12, even years old. It's not that he's saying, listen, children get the kingdom. That's it. Because that would be even more strange. That would mean all of us as of adults are out. That would kind of stink. But he's saying that all of its citizens have something in common with children. They have something in common with children. This understanding of verse 14 is seen more clearly in the next statement that Jesus makes, in verse 15, when He speaks about the necessity to receive the kingdom of God like a child. That's the text. That's what it says. Like a child. Not as an actual child or while a child, but in the same way a child would receive it, which we're going to look at in a moment. That's point two. So, the next question then, if that is the text, if that's what it's saying, and I believe it is clear, what exactly should a citizen of God's kingdom have in common with a child, or what, to say it another way, childlike characteristic or quality should a Christian possess? That's the question. Now, we need to be careful that we don't input some romanticized thinking about children in Jesus' reference to children. Here's what, I, here's what I mean by that. Romanticized thinking. Children are innocent and, and pure and sinless. Now, there is a sense in which children, especially the younger they are, appear to have a sense of innocence. Even purity. Okay? But to say they are defined by innocence or purity could only be said by someone who has never had children. <laughs> or worked in the nursery. All you have to do, I would encourage you, if any of you think that children are truly sinless, before they can even talk, watch two small children sitting on a mat playing with toys. When the one child takes the toy from the other child, that child, if he or she could, would kill, would kill the other child in some circle. I have seen it. They will pick something up and strike at them. Do you understand what I'm saying? If they knew how to stab or to operate a gun and there was one available, they would take out their little buddy on the mat to get their toy back. So, <laughs> I love kids, and, and especially as a grandparent, if you ask me, oh yeah, Judah is pure and innocent and perfect, don't you dare tell me there's anything wrong with that boy. Okay? But there is, there is, and time will uh, display that. There is something certainly wrong uh, with children. They are sinners. They are sinners. And the reality is, children were not really well thought of, beloved, in ancient society. 
In fact, they saw them, and even in some countries, they're still seen this way. They saw them as a burden and as a trouble. Uh, Let me quote one commentator. He says, Sons, to be sure, were regarded as a blessing from God. See, Senia's got her son sitting right next to her. He's a blessing from God, Senia. Yes, yes. Sons were regarded as a blessing from God, but here's why. Because they ensured the continuance of the family for another generation and increased its workforce. Primarily, guys. That was it. Okay? That's another strong arm we could use on the farm or in our business. And they will continue the family and the family name. And the inheritance will be passed down to the sons. Childhood was typically regarded as an unavoidable interim between childhood and adulthood. Or birth and adulthood, that is. Between birth and adulthood. An unavoidable interim. Can you imagine referring to it like that? You know what you are? You are an unavoidable interim. You need to grow up and get out of my house. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the uh, approach. I believe the answer to the question that, that I asked, what do, we, what do Christians have in common with a child, or what childlike characteristic or quality do they share, will not be one of the various qualities that people might attribute to children, like innocence or purity or something like that. But it is more about what the children or child does not have. Not what they have. So let me see if I can explain that. Garland, one commentator says, the child had no power, no status, and few rights. They were easily ignored and barred access because no one would take the trouble to complain and fight for them in that culture. Another writer says they were small, powerless, without sophistication, the overlooked and dispossessed of society. Dispossessed just means they had no rights. Children, beloved, were entirely dependent and are entirely dependent on someone else, not only for their very existence, but for their well-being. Right? Adults, parents, we know this. The children may not always recognize that, but we know this to be true. They are entirely dependent And I am convinced that it is the dependence as children or of children, not the idea of some noble virtue like purity or honesty, is the quality or the characteristics that the citizens of God's kingdom must share with a child. Dependence. Regarding the children in Mark 10, 13-16, one commentator writes these words, Their identification with the kingdom of God is their lack of power and their need for help. Their lack of power and their need for help. A child in arms, he's referring to the fact that Jesus is picking up these children, a child in arms has neither social influence nor personal strength upon which to rely. So it is, beloved, with all who are made citizens of God's kingdom, it is the same. It is not, look, what I have done to earn my place here. 
my citizenship. That will not be the attitude of all those who enter in to the kingdom of God. I've worked hard to get here. I put in some sweat labor. No. They will simply be saying, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father, for making me a part of your kingdom through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. I am and will always be entirely dependent upon Jesus in order to be included in this great kingdom of God. I am nothing. I am small. I am weak. But you are strong. You are great. And you have become everything for me and to me. God's kingdom belongs to people who are like children, totally dependent on Jesus Christ and what He has done on their behalf through the cross. I think that's the point. I think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to His blockheads who have been arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom and will continue to have that debate as they draw closer to the very death of their Savior being offered up on their behalf that they might enter into that kingdom. And so he drives home the point again using children as an illustration. Total dependence. Number two. Citizenship in the kingdom of God comes only through childlike acceptance. Childlike acceptance. Look back at the the text with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The New International Version of the Bible translates Mark 10.15 this way. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Never. The NIV replaces the word not that we see in the ESV, the Bible that we use here, with the word never. The reason they do that is because in the original language, Jesus actually said they will no not enter. No not. Now that might sound like bad English, but what it is is a strong double negative given by Jesus to exclude any other possibility for getting in. He's just saying there's absolutely no way not whatsoever. Never, if you don't receive it like a child. So here we have Jesus defining the way to citizenship and made it clear that the kingdom of God is just bottom line closed to anyone who does not receive it like a child. Beloved, that's strong words, right? That's strong. That's serious. So it seems really critical then for you and I who hopefully desire and want to be in this kingdom that is coming 
this righteous kingdom that I keep talking about, that the Bible's filled with, that we understand exactly how it is then a child receives something so that the kingdom of God will not be closed to us. To answer that question, I want to first consider a significant difference between a dependent child and an independent adult. (laughs) I just read this note up here. I just saw it. It's from my daughter. It says, I love you. I wish I could be in service to listen to your awesome message. Love your daughter, Alyssa. She's in nursery. Uh, I love... Kids are awesome. They are awesome. But now let's just look at this. What is the difference between a dependent child and an independent adult? Young children, because of their dependent nature, are not in a position to provide for themselves. We've already discussed that. We've already described that. And we know that to be true. They must rely on another's willingness to care for them. Because of their position in life, powerless, no status, Okay? I know some of you think you have status because you have 400 friends on Facebook, but that really in the end doesn't mean much. No real status in life. Because of that, they are much more open to accepting help or the help of others. Since without it, beloved, they would perish. They would perish. In contrast, independent adults learn to provide for themselves And they quickly develop an attitude of self-sufficiency. Right? Don't we even encourage our dependent children to become independent, self-sufficient, don't come asking me for help adults? Don't we encourage? I hope we, we do, right? Okay, wow, just one yes. So my wife does. The rest of you are going to be doling out the dollar for the rest of your life. But here's the thing. Then we as adults begin to take on an attitude of, I don't need anyone. I can take care of myself. I can make it on my own. I am not a child anymore. Okay? So let me ask you, does this sound familiar to you? You're at lunch with someone, right? Dinner, lunch. You go to grab the check. And they say, you don't have to do that. No, no. You don't have to do that. Which means, I can pay for it. I have money. I don't need your handout. Now, they might be saying it nicer than that, but it it kind of means that. And then the person says, I I know, but I, I want to. And then the other person says, okay, then at least let me cover the tip. Have you ever had this? Have you ever gone through this? Maybe you've never paid for anybody's food, so you have no idea what I'm talking for. But that is how it goes, by the way. I'm just letting you know. Or they'll say something like, okay, great, Bob, but I'll get it next time. Why don't we just say thank you? See, because you don't see children acting like that when the adult goes to pay the bill. Hey, Dad... Hey, don't do Don't worry about that. I'll, I'll get it. What do, you, what do you mean you'll get it? No, I'll get it. No, you're not going to get it. Well, then let me cover the tip. Well, what? Who are you? Where's my child? They don't do that. They're entirely dependent on you. 
they may not say thank you, but... Yeah. (laughs) Being independent, beloved, working to earn what we get and not relying on handouts is said to be adult-like. I would agree with that. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a lunch or paying your own rent or your mortgage or your bills. We're talking about the kingdom of God now. There is nothing you can do to earn it, to pay for it, to merit it. There is nothing. You are, in a sense, brought back to that position as a child, utterly dependent upon one to willingly provide for you. And we must simply receive it, Jesus says, with open hands, like a child would. One writer says, God's kingdom is not gained by human achievement or merit. It must be received as God's gift through simple trust by those who acknowledge their inability to gain it any other way. Another writer says, to receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring and whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace as a gift on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit or value inherited in him or her. Little children are the example or model for disciples. For only empty hands can be filled. I like that. I got nothing. So I'm just here to receive anything you're willing to give. Child. The truth is anyone who receives the kingdom, beloved, has done no more to gain it than the small, helpless, and dependent children being brought to Jesus could have possibly done. What could they have done? We can never earn it. We can simply receive it. And so we say, I am like a child before the Lord, if we understand this rightly. Unable to merit such a great honor or glorious position as being a citizen in His kingdom. Commentator I rely on heavily goes on to say, the person who imagines that he or she is somehow worthy of God's favor and that participation in the kingdom depends upon social or religious rank will never really enter the kingdom that Jesus announces. Based on what Jesus said, that's absolutely right. Because He made it clear, if you don't receive the kingdom 
as a child, you will never enter it. Beloved, in in Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom, the signs still read, you must be this tall to ride. They do. But if there was a sign in front of God's glorious kingdom, it would have a a picture of a, a small child on it. And it would say, you must be this small to enter. You know, we're going to take communion uh, this morning and we're going to turn to a section in communion. But let me just say, the cross is most significant in all of this. Because the way you and I come to a place where we are made citizens of this great future and glorious kingdom that Jesus is bringing with Him to this earth when He returns. The way that is possible is through forgiveness of sins secured for us through Jesus' death on a cross. And here's what happens when a person, a man or a woman or a boy and a girl come to the cross, they have to become small in light of what transpired there. Because what they see is their sin, their wretchedness, their wickedness being dealt with as God's wrath that should have been poured out on them is poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, as a substitute. Who stands tall in light of that? Who stands up and says, look at me and look what I'm bringing and look what I can do? The cross levels you if you understand it. It leaves you so small you can't even get off the ground. And all you can say in appropriate response is, Jesus, thank you. I bring nothing. I bring nothing to this cross. The only thing I bring is my wickedness and my vileness for which you suffered under the hand of God in my place. I have nothing. That's why Jesus says, to such, to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. They are totally dependent creatures. They don't walk up to me with their heads held high. They won't be strutting their stuff in the kingdom of God. But they will forever be praising the One who saved them. The One who made it possible for them to be in such a place. The One who secured their salvation by giving His very all. The One who lived a perfect and holy and righteous life. The One I could never live but was required of Me and now has been credited to Me by faith. To such belongs the Kingdom of God and you can never enter that place unless you receive it as a child.